Chapter One of the Lost Parchment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sharon Kilmer, San Antonio, Texas. The Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. Schoolfellows. So this is your kingdom, Hindle said the visitor looking round the garden which glowed with rainbow tints in the hot july sunshine and a very jolly kingdom it is when did you enter into it when i was fifteen twelve years ago replied the squire smiling don't you remember how i wrote and told you of the death of my father you had just left school for the varsity those were capital days at rugby weren't they carrington they were i have had few capital days since but surely at oxford carrington shrugged his shoulders and made a frank admission oh yes oxford was all right until my father died and left me without a sixpence it was hard work i can tell you qualifying for the bar on next to nothing and i can't say that i have made my fortune as a barrister you lucky dog don't need to bother about pounds shillings and pence i have certainly nothing to complain of on that score said hindle in a satisfied tone and extending his cigarette case it was a pity we drifted apart carrington as we were such chums at rugby i might have helped you you were always a good chap hindle and that is why i took to you when we were in our teens but we saw nothing of each other all those years because you had money and i hadn't besides you went to cambridge while i patronized oxford it is my fault that our friendship has not continued unbroken as i never answered your many letters but you see i was always too much involved in law studies to bother you i presume were looking after your snug little kingdom hindle nodded i am a very stay-at-home person and the place requires a good deal of supervision lucky dog repeated the barrister you have a fine income too so so four thousand a year the deuce and like bottom i support life on sixpence a day which unlike bottom i have to earn there is no theseus to give me a pension you didn't seem to be so very hard up when i met you six months ago in the criterion restaurant said the young squire dryly oh one has to keep up some sort of appearance and dress in purple and fine linen even if one cannot afford to do so answered carrington easily it is only your rich man who can dispense with solomon in all his glory raiment old fellow anyhow poor or rich i was delighted to meet you again were you hindle appeared to be a trifle skeptical you didn't hurry yourself to come down to barship anyhow i didn't that's a fact i thought you might fancy that i would borrow if i came too speedily hence the six months hesitation oh rot you know that i'm not the sort of fellow to grudge a loan to an old school chum if he asks for it you were always a good chap hindle said carrington again but i am not going to ask 
i have bread and butter if not jam and one must be grateful for the necessities of life in these hard times hindle nodded with a lazy laugh and the young men lighted fresh cigarettes as they crossed the lawn to gain the avenue which sloped gradually for a quarter of a mile in the direction of the village behind them they left a delightfully ugly mansion of georgian architecture mellowed by time into positive beauty the big house its local name draped itself majestically in dark trailing ivy showing here and there the bland softened hue of its ruddy brick walls my mind to me a kingdom is quoted carrington with a backward glance at the peace and beauty they were leaving a poetic but truly unsatisfactory saying hindle your acres are a more tangible possession than the stuff of which dreams are made let us go hence the squire in his simple honesty laughed at the fantastic remarks of his visitor not guessing that a considerable amount of acid envy underlay the amiable compliments hindle was one of those honorable good-natured creatures who believed that his fellow-men were as open-minded and straightforward as he was himself his florid complexion fair crisp hair big limbs and general air of laden strength revealed plainly his saxon ancestry and he resembled a good-natured bull content with plentiful grass and water and the freedom of wide meadows he was markedly good-looking with sleepy blue eyes and a heavy moustache of a russet hue which he usually tugged at to help on his slow-moving thoughts his name rupert suggested swift dash and impetuous daring but there was nothing of these things about this somewhat drowsy giant although he had ample courage when necessary it took much to rouse him but once the dam of his self-restraint broke everything and every one were swept away like straws in a torrent of berserk fury when rupert did fight nothing could stand against his enormous physical power and the use of this being tempered by strong common sense invariably gained him the victory but he usually preferred peace to war and it took much to stimulate his passions to an outbreak dean carrington himself was to his friend like a georgian rapier to a crusader's sword he was small and lean quick-witted and nimble with dark hair and dark eyes and a swarthy complexion his clean-shaven face with its regular features and keen expression suggested the born intriguer who gained his ends rather by cunning than force always perfectly dressed always amiable an accomplished squire of dames well read and yet a man of the world carrington was the exact opposite of hindel and perhaps had made him his friend because of the vast difference in their natures having a more alert though not a stronger mind he dominated rupert in a most dexterous manner never showing the iron hand without its velvet glove nevertheless this ascendancy had been achieved at rugby and owed its strength to the admiration of the dull boy for the clever boy to the hero worship of the younger for the older 
but if carrington was now thirty rupert was now twenty-seven and might not be so easily mastered presuming as might be the case the latter had developed qualities with which the former could not cope this remained to be seen and it was to see that carrington had come down for a saturday to monday rest now that he judged rupert to be much the same and saw how luxurious were his surroundings the astute barrister determined to re-establish his sway over a wealthy friend too long neglected therefore he made himself delightfully agreeable he had spent saturday and sunday with the squire and now was strolling through the village on monday afternoon before catching the evening train so far owing to rupert's frank intimacy he foresaw no obstacle to his making use of the young man but there was one possibility to be reckoned with which had to be looked into and this carrington approached in a roundabout manner after his usual custom a delightful place said the barrister with a sigh of pleasure as they sauntered along the cobblestone street with its quaint houses on either side you are a king here when you conduct the queen to the throne at the big house the serfs will lie down and allow you both to walk over them i haven't any wish to walk over them said hindle shrugging his mighty shoulders and i don't think the villagers would like to hear you call them serfs carrington pooh they wouldn't know the meaning of the word and after all it is only my picturesque way of speaking but you evade my question i didn't know you asked any you simply made a remark the lord mend your wit then i must be plain i see what about a wife oh that's all arranged for replied the squire stolidly and with never a blush so matter-of-fact was he and you never told me murmured carrington reproachfully you never asked me no said the other wondering at this plagmatic nature i didn't then he lapsed into musing and rupert never a talker at the best of times strode beside him silent and comfortably happy so the possibility had become a probability and a feminine influence had to be reckoned with after all this was what carrington had dreaded and he blamed himself for not having asked the question before had he done so he might have been introduced to the lady and then would have been able to judge what sort of marplot she would prove to be however he hoped to meet her when he next came down which would be very soon and meanwhile true to his plan of campaign he laughed amiably at rupert's reticence you always did take things stolidly at school hindel he said arching his finely penciled eyebrows and you have not changed in this respect who is she my cousin a third or fourth cousin we have known each other all our lives and that is why we know we will be happy familiarity doesn't breed contempt in this case then said the barrister lightly as you have known her all her life i presume she lives hereabouts oh yes at the other end of the village 
i should like to see her suggested carrington persuasively next time you come down you shall i shall ask her father and dorinda to dinner at the big house who is her father a second or third cousin of mine what is his name mallin julius mallin i am a little the wiser said the barrister ironically and i don't want to exercise my profession of cross-examining people in the country can't you give me details i am said the other slightly surprised i am giving you details yes when i ask you incessant questions but make some sort of a speech i want to know what kind of person mallin is i want a description of the lady i desire to learn what the father does and if he will give his daughter a dowry in fact i wish to know all about it as naturally i take the greatest interest in the welfare of my old school chum good old man said rupert giving carrington's arm so affectionate a squeeze that the barrister winced with the pain well mallin's a beast like timon of athens you remember the play we read at school i don't like mallin as he's always grousing at everyone and everything you give me the key to his character by mentioning timon your future father-in-law is a misanthrope rupert nodded very much so and orinda is an angel i know what you're about to say i don't think you do dorinda is a good sort is that all the praise you can bestow on your future wife it's all she wants dorinda doesn't like compliments what an unnatural girl laughed carrington and her looks hendel filled his pipe while he replied and halted in the village square while he did so she's got black hair and blue eyes and a ripping figure and is heaps cleverer than i am what a bald description has she two eyes and a nose with a mouth under it how you chafe carrington however when you come down again you will see dorinda for herself hello here's kit who is kit questioned the other as a smart motor-car slipped easily out of the crooked street to halt in the square as the village green was grandiloquently entitled the son of my housekeeper mrs beatson that sour-looking woman with the hard eye the same she has been hammered hard by misfortune but it is a lady born and bred for all that morning kit good morning squire hot isn't it i can only get some sort of wind by running the machine at top speed you'll be roped in by the police if you don't mind your eye kit my friend mr dean carrington this is mr christopher beatson carrington he's a reckless hero who plays with the whiskers of death on all and every occasion that is the habit of the present generation said carrington with a nod to the handsome young man in the car motors aeroplanes scenic railways and looping the loop youth enjoys nothing nowadays unless it has in it an element of danger to go out and never know if you will be home to supper mr beatson that is your delight there is much truth in what you say mr carrington returned kit laughing 
After all, it's life. This is the frantic age, said Hindle sententiously. How's business, Kit? Ripping. I sold three cars last week on behalf of the firm, one to a lady. Who was taken with your good looks, I suppose. Take care Miss Tollert doesn't grow jealous, Kit. You will have your joke, Mr. Hindle, answered Beetson, his bronze skin growing crimson and his brown eyes sparkling. But Sophie knows that I have to play up to the customers to get the stuff sold. He turned from the wheel to look round generally. Have you seen her? She's to meet me here and go with me for a spin. Just then Miss Tollard appeared, hurrying to the rendezvous as fast as her hobble skirt would permit. She revealed herself as a fine-looking and decidedly flamboyant young woman with an independent air which suggested the suffragist. It could easily be seen, and by a less observant person than Carrington, that Kit would be known as Mrs. Beetson's husband when the ring was on the lady's finger. His chin betrayed a rather weak nature, and his eyes had much too kind a look in them to hint at mastery while the tall, black-browed young woman, who swung toward the group with the air of conquering Samiramis, appeared quite capable of dominating an empire, much less a husband. Carrington did not envy Kit's approaching connubial bliss. Mr. Carrington, Miss Tollard, said the squire, introducing his friend to the new arrival. Carrington, Miss Tollard is the daughter of our doctor. Sophie winced at the mention of her father, and Carrington wondered why she should. However, the emotion passed in a flash, and Miss Tollert inspected the barrister much as a naturalist inspects a microbe under the microscope. The sniff with which she concluded her scrutiny hinted at dissatisfaction, if not at contempt. But then Sophie, as an ardent suffragist, never did think much of the male, and straightway flew her colors in the face of this particular one. I am going to Elbosham to speak at a meeting, squire. Have I your good wishes? That you'll come home safe and sound? queried Hindle with twinkling eyes. You have. Don't insult the crowd more than you can help, Miss Tollard. I shall not conceal my opinions, retorted the lady, tightening her lips. Ah! carrington looked her up and down in that case i am glad mr beetson and his car will be at hand to rescue you i can fight my own battle said miss tollard coolly but i see that you don't believe in votes for women my dear lady replied carrington smoothly when i am in your presence i believe in anything you like to advance sophie sniffed hedging she observed aggressively men never can give a straight answer i only wish she continued as she turned to handle that i could infect dorinda with my ardor but she won't uphold the banner and sulks in her tent i am afraid that i have exhausted all my persuasive power in inducing her to join me as my future wife said the squire politely sophie nodded her approval dorinda's a nice girl and a good girl and a very pretty girl she said in her deep-toned voice but she is as weak as any man in this village as weak as you are squire 
as the vicar as my father and you know what he is she winced again then turned aggressively on kit but i can't stay here all day as the meeting at elbowsham is waiting five miles kit you must do it in five minutes what about the police asked carrington i despise the police cried miss tollert as she was borne away hurriedly by her lover to prevent further trouble they know me carrington looked leisurely after the machine until it vanished and sophie's trumpet tones of defiance died away what an uncomfortable young woman he observed turning towards his friend oh sophie's a good sort said hindel soberly she had heaps of trouble it doesn't seem to have knocked much sense into her anyway trouble bother i see her father i expect the squire looked astonished yes but how you guessed i saw her wince when you and she mentioned dr tollard explained the banister they crossed the green passing an ancient cross of worn stone which stood in the centre of a vast expanse of grass burnt brown with long enduring heat round the square were various cottages with whitewashed walls and thatched roofs each standing in its own tiny garden brilliant with flowers the hindle inn with the arms of the family swinging from a signpost was the largest building in sight and presented an attractive sight to an artist since it dated from tudor times and its upper story overhung the lower with its red tiled roof and dark oaken beams deeply embedded in its flint and stone walls it caught the eye of carrington straightway he had seen it before but its quaint beauty lured him again to contemplation that's a delightful old inn he said looking backward as they passed out of the square quite the place for an adventure there are no adventures in barship replied the squire heavily we are a very dull people hereabouts lee is our bright and shining light as he goes in for old manuscripts and ancient buildings and queer customs and in a word lee is an archaeologist interrupted carrington who found rupert somewhat prolix and who is lee if we had gone to church yesterday you would have seen him in the pulpit carrington he is the vicar and if you don't mind being blamed for non-attendance we are going to look him up now oh i don't mind in the least said the barrister briskly if he talks religion i can talk science argument is always amusing with a fanatic i don't think lee is a fanatic he's fonder of his hobby than of his profession but he's all right as a parson although he doesn't visit his parishioners as often as i could wish yonder's the church where all my people are buried picturesque the barrister gave the building his grave approval but everything is picturesque about here in the best style of art you ought to be happy i am very happy but i shall be happier when i marry dorinda i'm into that and let me be your best man said carrington gaily if dorinda doesn't mind yes replied hindle exasperatingly matter-of-fact End of chapter 1